Dog Works Radio is sponsored by Alaska Dog Works. Check out their website at alaskadogworks.com. Here's to the great American dog trainers out there. The hundreds of you who settled for the sometimes thankless job of working with four-legged companions because they pay the bills. Of course, there's something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and unleash your creative freedom. Maybe even earn enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm no puppy wrangler. I'm a rover. I'm a trailbreaker. I'm an adventurer. Visit firstpaw.media. Wag on over today. You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and I am joined by my co-host Michelle and we are doing a special crossover episode here on Mushing and Dogworks Radio. Today we're talking all about kennel licenses and Alaska being a right to mush state. So before we jump in, Michelle, how's it going today? It's going great, Robert. I am so excited that the trails are in and training is on point. So I wanted to do this episode for a couple of different reasons. Number one, of course, we are a dog mushing facility here in the Matsu Borough of Alaska, but we also own and operate Alaska Dog Works, a dog training center right out of our home. And we have dogs that stay with us in a program that we call camp. In order to do both mushing and boarding, we have to have two separate kennel licenses and they are covered under the Matsu Ordinance, Title 24. And we're going to jump into that in just a second. But I thought it would be cool to talk today about what is going on in Alaska and how we regulate sled dogs. And I say that because people listen to us all over the world. We have been used as a model for a lot of other municipalities around the country on how our sled dogs are licensed and kenneled here in Alaska. And I know different parts of the world are different. I know our buddies down in Canada really struggle uh, with their kennel licensing and requirements for their sled dogs. But I wanted to give you guys a perspective about what happens up here. Michelle, I know we were just recently licensed here just last week, as a matter of fact. Can you run us through that process a little bit before we talk about Title 24? What does it take to apply? What happened during the inspection? And then I'll ask you some questions after we talk about Title 24. Sure. So we were actually, um, we've been licensed for the last 13 years. We undergo a relicensing, if you will, every three years. And so we were up, we were due for our time to go through the licensing process again. And what that entails is I received a letter in the mail as well as an email notifying me that I had a deadline to meet the requirements. So to get the paperwork in first and the paperwork is pretty intensive for the sled dog side, not as intensive for the boarding facility. So let's break it down for the dog sledding kennel first. Our dog sledding kennel is known as Timaneke. It is a business that is owned by our shared business, Dogworks Training Company. So Dogworks Training Company owns our sled dog 
uh, kennel, Timaneke, which is an educational kennel where we provide services for students from the University of Alaska Anchorage and Alaska Pacific University to partake in a dog mushing course right here on our property. So we have licensed it as a business. Alaska Dog Works is our board and train business that is run off of the same property, but out of our home. Dogs are not shared in the housing area with the sled dogs, so it is considered a separate business. So when I file my paperwork for the sled dogs for Timaneke, I must provide to them a copy of the rabies vaccinations that are up to date for all dogs in my sled dog kennel. We have 35 currently. So that means I have to take 35 rabies vaccinations, copy them and scan them into a PDF document. Then I take the paper that they provide for me, a form that they provide for me to fill out each and every dog's name, sex, if they're spayed or neutered, they like you to know at least their age. You don't have to give their date of birth. Thankfully for a lot of us dog mushers, we don't always know the date of birth. Um, and who the veterinarian was that administered the vaccine and the expiration date. So you fill all of that out on the form. Then you remember to update your emergency plan. And you also must provide a detailed map of where you are located and the contact information of the owners of your kennel and or sled dog kennel. And we're going to talk a lot about that uh, evacuation plan in just a second, because I think that is a key component of this. So we got all of our paperwork in and we expected it would be several months before uh, the animal control officer came over to do his look around. That's and we, right. And we say that because the last time we did this, I think we applied and we waited six months, nine months, something like that for them to show up, right? Yes, that's right. They were understaffed at that time, though. Um, this time we did uh, send all the stuff off. You send it. Uh, the reason why we scan it in as a PDF document is because you email all of that to the animal control office in the Matsu Valley. If you don't have the opportunity to scan it as a PDF document and email it, you can fax it in. They still accept that way of doing things. At the same time I did it for my mushing kennel, I also did it for my board and train kennel. The difference is that I did not need to provide the rabies for the dog staying in my camp because I didn't know who would be here at that time. However, I always have the rabies certificates provided by the client on hand every single time we accept a dog for boarding. That is important. So the animal control officer called us a few days ahead of time and Michelle and I happened to be out of town in New England, in fact, but they did allow us to schedule it out four or five days later and they showed up late in the afternoon on a very snowy day here in Alaska. And of course, we knew what to expect. We've been through this several times, but I think it's important to talk about sort of the process. What did they look for? What questions did they ask? What did they think about our kennel? Did they give you any tips or tricks to do things next time? Sort of run us through the inspection, Michelle. Sure. So 
it's always a little bit different because you don't get the same officer every three years. And so they all have their different um, opinions and experiences while they're following the guidelines, of course. This particular officer was very well versed in the dog mushing ways of life. He spent time on the back of a snow machine with a veterinarian during one of the most recent Iditarods uh, within the last five years. So I was very much um, impressed and glad that he shared that information with me. He gave me basically a resume of who he was how he got involved with dogs and wanted to become an animal control officer ultimately after his stint in the military where he was a dog handler. So he knew a lot about dog handling, a lot about dog training, and he put in his dues, if you will, learning as much as he could about the mushing environment. He also lives right here in Willow. He is our closest resource for mushers in the Willow and more northern areas of the Susitna Valley. So it's good to get to know him and learn all about the things that he can help us with. So I asked him a few questions about any recent changes to our evacuation plans and things like that for the Willow community. And he shed a lot of light on some things that have been happening in that world. So he has updated the evacuation areas to include more spaces for dog mushers and their dogs, including the community center will have a staging area for us, as well as an overflow staging area at the school on the hockey rink. So I was very pleased to hear these things because that means that some of us that were transporting our dogs well out of the area during the sockeye fire, we have a closer location now that we can have as a meeting spot. So everybody needs to become familiar with that. The other thing he let me in on was to take his business card and affix it to my emergency plan and tape it to our back door of our home. That is because that is an entry point for um, first responders to come into my home and that's the first place that they would look for information about the sled dogs, as well as the camp dogs. I have the same information posted in a very close place to the door of our sled dog kennel barn so that anytime a first responder needs to show up for any kind of reason, they know who, what, where, and when to get the dogs out. So that's all very important information. When he came in, he went through all the paperwork, checked off all the things that needed to be checked off, spent some time chatting <clears throat> with me about our setup for Alaska Dog Works. We went ahead and did that inspection first. They like to see that you have adequate water, food, that the food is in a dry area, that if you have to administer medication, that you know how to do that and where to keep it. If the dogs are on a special diet, you have adequate space and refrigeration. Um, they want to make sure that the dogs have an area to get out to, to use the bathroom and exercise. And obviously we're a training kennel. So we provided him with all of that information. And because I was a licensed boarding facility in the state of Colorado, state of Colorado makes you have a three door system. I have that same three door system in 
place here in my home. What that means is a dog must go through three doors in order to escape. And so I have that here in place for our camp dogs. Now, then we went outside and braved the cold. One thing I will tell you is they do like you to be able to have clean, fresh water on hand for all animals within your facility at all times of the year. Now, we feed our dogs twice a day. We, uh, we keep our food indoors inside of my home, separate from the sled dog kennel, because we do not have a well in our sled dog kennel. So this is where I was allowed to do things slightly differently. Um, because I don't have a well, but I do have electricity, I don't really have a way to keep a water cistern from freezing down there all year long. But he did show me this awesome setup that Martin Boozer has in place that I'm just not sure I'm going to be able to pull off. So we passed with flying colors. All of our dogs were pretty behaved when he showed up. He did check out one of our dogs who is on phenobarbital for seizures discovered for us at that particular time that his swivel pole was frozen. He wasn't upset about that, but he attempted, big guy by the way, attempted to loosen that for us. Nicole and I are pretty short. We explained that we would use a blowtorch later and melt that pole down so that it could swivel again or simply move the dog to one of our vacant spots. The dog's pole was positioned in a way that the dog could still get in and out of his house. So the officer was satisfied with that situation. Um, he did make a couple of points uh, about making sure that we had, again, uh, av availability of water for the dogs on a regular basis, not a problem. Otherwise, he was very satisfied with our, with our system. We have quarantine spaces in our barn um, with uh, kennel runs. They're under the roof shelter, but they're not by any means inside the barn. They're, they're kind of inside, kind of outside. So in other words, we can put them in there. There's houses in there with straw and we put extra straw down on the floor so that they are kept dry at all times. If we have to quarantine a dog for any reason, that being illness or elderly or even in heat. Um, so I have five spaces for that. And I also have five houses that are empty at this time. So we have the ability to move dogs around and, and he did like the fact that we had that. He did take a look at our dog sled equipment, including our nice racing sleds and made a comment about that. And he said, well, you checked off everything that makes you a legitimate mushing facility. So when the officer was here, I, I was down in, in the city working. What was he looking for when he was kind of gazing over the kennel. Obviously, he's looking for proper shelter. He's looking for tethering, like you talked about. We're going to talk about the rules of Title 24 in a second. I'm sure he was checking out all the dogs. How much time did he spend down there? And did he really get hands-on with any other dog except for Stryker, who you mentioned before? Uh, no, he took he, he pet Bodie um, and, and really enjoyed Easel's uh, antics. 
Um, but no, he didn't go over and put hands on any of the dogs except for Stryker, but that was because he was messing with the pole. What he really wanted to know is where my females were sprinkled in because he noted on my paperwork that I had a disproportionate number of male dogs to female dogs, which he didn't really care, but none of our dogs at this time are spayed and neutered. And he just wanted to know where are your females at and what do you do if one goes in heat? And then when I explained to him that I had 10 spaces to move dogs around and I have 35 dogs, I also pointed out to him the eight females that we have. Um, he was more than satisfied with our system of being able to move dogs around to prevent unwanted breeding. So how long was the officer here from the time he drove up till the time he drove away? Uh, two hours, but he was inspecting two facilities. So quite a bit of time, and it sounds like a, a heck of a good inspection. Well, wait, but for the mushing facility, Robert, you need to know that he needed to see the dog sleds. He needed to know what we were using the dogs for, and he, needed to, he saw that we had trail access. He also made sure that the dog houses were adequate in size, the chain length was adequate, so on and so forth. So those were things that he was looking for to be checked off as a mushing facility, not just a sled dog kennel. So if it's my understanding, the license is good for three years. So we are good until at least 2026. Uh, I think you said that the mushing kennel was $150 fee and the boarding kennel for our dog training was $75. Is that right? That is correct. So let's talk a little bit about that right to mush state. I think we're one of the few states in the United States that is that is registered or uh, legalized or whatever it's called to be a right to mush state. And what does that mean? Uh, well, of course, you know, there's quite a bit of history with dog mushing here, but there's also been legislation in place, not only here in the Matsu Borough, but also in the municipality of Anchorage and other places in Alaska that give us different rights than your typical pet dog. Now, that can be on a positive and a negative, depending on the way that you look at it. In the mushing world, dogs are not necessarily treated as pets under this right to mush state or under title 24. Is that right, Michelle? Uh, that's under the definition for animal control in the state of Alaska as well. I believe Robert that dogs in Alaska, um, especially sled dogs are uh, considered property, personal property and livestock. So they are not treated the same as your pet golden retriever or German shepherd or whatever. Now, of course, uh, every musher that I know treats their sled dogs as if they, they are uh, the most important thing in the world. So most people follow along with that. But also on this right to mush state, it also means that there cannot be interference for people partaking in mushing. And this is a very important piece of information. If Trails are available, and we have many historic trails, not only here in the Matsu, but all around the state. Those trails are kept and groomed and taken care of by the local community, not just dog mushers, but it also means that there are easements and property rights and all sorts of stuff that have been 
uh, litigated throughout the throughout the years here in Alaska that allow dog mushers sort of the right away. I know that there was a lawsuit quite a while ago on the historic Iditarod Trail over in Kinnick, Alaska, where property owners were fighting about uh, dog mushers crossing over their property line to get from one trail to the other. And I believe that the dog mushers, quote unquote, won that suit. So there is still that trail access because of those historic trails and all of that. So it is very important to note that mush, that right to mush state here in Alaska. And I sure wish other communities around the country would follow this lead because it would make relationships between dog mushers and snow machiners and property owners and everything so much more clear, so much more cut and dry than just sort of this wonky legislation that's throughout the country. I'm sure you would agree, Michelle. I would, but let me just go ahead and take an opportunity, Robert, to really just sit here and read this portion of Title 24. It is 24.07.060, interference with a mushing facility or with lawful mushing activity. And many of our rabid listeners will recall what happened recently to Dallas CV. And the officer that met with me actually brought this up and wanted us to be very aware of what should have happened. So the, the title 2407060 interference with a mushing facility or with lawful mushing activity reads as follows. A, a person commits the violation of interference with a mushing facility if the person, one, with the intent to stop, delay, disrupt, or otherwise interfere with any activity at a mushing facility licensed under this chapter. A, enters or remains on the property of a licensed mushing facility without permission. And B, hinders, harasses, or intimidates a person or sled dog lawfully present at the licensed mushing facility. B, a person commits the violation of interference with lawful mushing activity if the person, one, with the intent to stop, delay, divert, impede, frighten, harm, or otherwise cause sled dogs engaged in lawful mushing activity to change their direction or speed. Two, obstructs, harasses, or physically interferes with sled dogs engaged in lawful mushing activity. C, this section does not apply to actions taken on private property with the consent of the owner or to actions taken by state or local office officials engaged in their authorized duties d violation of this section may be cited as an infraction at the discretion of the chief animal care and regulation officer or may be cited as a misdemeanor at the discretion of the borough attorney e if cited as an infraction the fine for the violation shall be set at specified in MSB 24.40.050. F, if charged as a misdemeanor, the violation shall be punishable by a fine of up to $1,000 and or by imprisonment of up to 90 days. 
So as we said, guys, this is what uh, the right to mush state means here in Alaska. They are pretty cut and dry and they are pretty serious about this. And I think this is what makes this show very important in, in terms of people that are listening all over the world. Michelle? So what the officer said to me that was doing our inspection, he said, did you hear about what happened with Dallas and the dogs? And I said, yeah, it was a horrifying situation. And he said, Dallas did everything right except for one thing. He should have reported it to us, animal control. I said, really, why? And he said, because we're the ones that can cite and go after these people that infringed on his right and interfered with a lawful mushing activity. And I'm sure there will be a lot of uh, give and take on that uh, suit or or. Uh, incident, if you will, between uh, Dallas CD and... Yeah, there's and a lot of follow-up that they didn't go into with me that I didn't want to have um, us, you know, be gossiping about. But that was something that was very important that I wanted us to share. That's why I asked Robert to do this show. Right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, what is also under that Title 24. The Mushing Facility License is authorizing the owner of the kennel for a particular number of dogs. And this is also very important. If you do not have uh, this number of dogs, plus or minus, you are in violation of this rule. So they have four different sections of this. They have 5 to 29 sled dogs, 30 to 59, 60 to 89, and greater than 90. And I think we fall dead in the middle there, Michelle, 30 to 59. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. We are, um, we are licensed to up to 45 sled dogs. So even though it says 30 to 59, you still have to demonstrate that you have the space and ability to care for the number of dogs that you are housing. What that means is if you don't have enough space for 59 dogs, they're not going to approve you just for that 30 to 59 number. They're going to give you a more specified number. And that's why we're there at that 45. Pretty much our setup allows about that many dogs. We've never had that many, but we've always kept a pretty... Well, we had 44. <laughs> we've, we've, we've kept a pretty open system, meaning uh, dogs are able to be moved around and all of that. So Michelle has already talked about a lot of the standards of care for obtaining the license. You have to meet, obviously, the daily care of the dogs, which includes water, shelter, and diet. You also have to have a way of restraint. So that means free of hazards, such as sharp metal, protruding nails, etc., if your dogs are tethered, this is very important for people that are listening outside of Alaska. Uh, I know tethering is a hot button issue around the world, but if tethering is allowed, which it is here in Alaska, the tethers or chains have to be sufficient length and allow for freedom of movement and adequate exercise. That is very important, as Michelle had mentioned with uh, Stryker's uh, spot. Uh, if dogs are kept in run, they have runs. They have to be made of chain link and secure of any issues such as uh, protruding metal or anything like that. And they ha they cannot have any spots where a dog can escape. If you do have kennel runs, you must have the proper cleaning products on hand. 
Yes, feces. This is a big one in mushing kennels. Stools are to be removed daily from the kennel and disposed of in a sanitary and legal manner. Now, this is up to interpretation for a lot of people and kennels around the state. Some people bury it. Some people uh, haul it off to the local dump. We have a dumpster specifically for this. We have a six-yard dumpster that... uh, is the legal manner of dealing with it. And it's, it's worked out well for us. I just don't want to have to have a backhoe to dig huge holes and bury it and all that other stuff. Uh, Michelle already mentioned what dogs have to do if they are in heat. Uh, you have to have routine transportation for the dogs during travel, meaning you have to have an appropriate dog box or crates. They have to be able to stand up or move around in these crates, very similar to the airlines. Michelle had already mentioned the vaccinations and the record keeping. If there is breeding on place, there has to be a suitable whelping pen and house available. Michelle already talked about the emergency evacuation. Uh, We are very diligent about that, especially since we've gone through a couple of forest fires up here, including the Sockeye Fire, which was very close. So we have a pretty detailed emergency plan And Michelle had already mentioned how we take care of our food. Yeah, it's kind of a hassle sometimes hauling buckets up from the kennel building, which is probably 100, 150 yards from the house, uh, having to bring those up all winter long. But we do know that it is safe up here. Uh, The the meat will melt uh, in the hot water and all that. So we make a a very nice uh, gruel for them, as I call it. And, uh, you know, we do our best to take care of the dogs. Now, Michelle had mentioned also that we are an education kennel. And this is a little bit different than probably 99% of other dog kennels around the country because it's my understanding that we're one of the very few kennels and me as the uh, instructor that operate a dog mushing course that receives college credit. Now, that's good and bad for a couple of different reasons. Number one, on the bad side, if you will, is there's a lot more regulations when you're dealing with live animals and students. We have to go through what they call an IRB approval process, the same process that any research facility has to go through, whether they're working on animals or they're doing research studies on people or whatever. That is a pretty rigorous thing that we have to do. We just went through it just this week with my course that's coming up in January. Uh, We also are under the stringent guidance of the university in terms of insurance, in terms of safety, risk management, all sorts of things that the most dog kennels do not have to go through. But it is a excellent opportunity to introduce people to the sport of dog mushing, and we are honored to have that ability. Michelle, I know that you take part in our education part of this as well, and of course you do a lot of the work with Alaska Dog Works as well as Team Ineke. Is there anything that we missed that we want to make sure that we cover on this show? Um. Yeah, actually, um, I want to make sure that everybody out there understands that something that we're asked about a lot from Alaska Dog Works clients has to do with the leash law in the Matanuska Susitna Valley. There is one for every animal. That's right. Every animal. 
he was mentioning that the day before he came and did our inspection, that he had to hustle from the far side of Palmer all the way to Cantwell, excuse me, Caswell Lakes to wrangle down a horse that was unrestrained running around on the one of the side roads. He said, every animal has to be restrained in one fashion or another. That goes for horses, goats, even cows. And that's important with sled dogs because it is a near catastrophe. If you're running on trails or in a race, especially in downtown Anchorage, and you come across dogs that are off leash, it can turn into a nightmare very quickly. Your dogs are technically restrained on a dog team because they're attached uh, in two places, technically, uh, tethered to the sled. So it's one long leash, if you will. But a dog that jumps on the trail in, in front of a team of racing sled dogs usually does not work out well for anyone involved. So I highly, highly encourage everybody, if you're out there on those multi-use trails, whether it's in Alaska or anywhere else, please have your dog on a leash. I know all of us want to have freedom with our dogs when we're out on those trail hikes. But believe me, I've been a dog trainer since the mid nineties. It is always safer to have your dog on a leash. They do not care one way or the other, whether they are on a leash or not. It is a human behavior. Dogs are perfectly content to be by your side, not running 500 yards down the trail. Michelle, anything else in closing? No, that was the biggest one, um, and and that kind of ties back to why we wanted to demonstrate the importance of having your mushing kennel licensed, okay? And one thing that you did miss I want to put in there is in order to become a mushing facility with that license, you have to have a three-year history of mushing for travel, freighting, or racing, whether recreationally or professionally, because we do it recreationally and through the educational pathways, we have been considered a mushing facility for more than six years. Yeah, we've been doing this a long time. I started mushing about the same time I started dog training way back in 1994. But this kennel licensing program, it's relatively new. When we first moved here, there was not a kennel license procedure. I know this went into effect uh, sometime past 2010. I don't recall exactly when. I know our neighbor, Vern Halter, is an Iditarod and Yukon Quest veteran, but he's also a prior mayor of the Matsu Borough, and he pushed a lot of this through to make sure that dog mushing is protected under under the rules or the laws, if you will. So kudos to, to Vern Halter and all the work that he did. And a lot of people will say, not in my backyard. I don't want a bunch of regulations. I don't want government control of this or that. Fine. That's, that's, uh, that's your prerogative. But we have seen nothing but positive on our dealings with uh, this licensing, licensing procedure, and we will continue to advocate for it in the future. So Guys, what do you think? I know you're listening in areas outside of Alaska. What do you have in terms of kennel licensing procedures in your area? Do you have a kennel license similar to the Matsu? What about your pet dogs? What's required of them? Are they required to be licensed, microchipped, that sort of thing? 
please let us know in the comments. Let's keep the discussion alive. You can also follow us on socials. Be sure to just check out any link that you see, and that will take you to the socials as well. So on behalf of my co-host, Michelle, and on behalf of Mushing and DogWorks Radio, this is Robert. We'll see you guys next time. Goodbye. Got a dog training problem? There's a podcast for that to stay updated on everything dogs do on DogWorks Radio. A podcast hosted by master dog trainers and business coaches, Robert and Michelle Forto. Every week, they will introduce you to pet professionals with unique insights on dogs in the veterinary world, in books and films, and working with canines. The podcast also answers questions like how long does it take to train a puppy or what are the different training styles? Get some surprising answers on DogWorks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you a fan of the great outdoors? Do you enjoy the thrill of speed and adventure? Then listen up. Introducing Mushing, your ultimate guide to the exciting world of dog-powered sports and mushing. Whether you're a seasoned musher or just starting out, Mushing has got you covered. Get ready to immerse yourself in captivating stories of incredible sled dog races, expert training tips from seasoned professionals, and gear reviews to help you make the right choices for your team. From the breathtaking landscapes of Alaska to the snowy trails of Scandinavia, Mushing takes you on a thrilling journey through the world of dog-powered sports. Don't miss out on the latest issue packed with exclusive interviews with top mushers, in-depth articles on sled dog nutrition, and stunning photography that will transport you to the heart of the action. So whether you're dreaming of competing in the Iditarod or simply want to learn more about this incredible sport, Mushing is your go-to resource. Subscribe now and get ready to unleash your passion for mushing. Visit our website at mushing.com or find us on your favorite podcast platform. Mushing, where the spirit of adventure meets the power of the pack.